Alternative Radio. Hello. If you're hearing my voice right now, then you have stumbled onto the podcast where real stories of professional criminal profilers are told by professional assholes. Welcome to Profiling Pain. What is going on, co-filers? Man, 2021. Off to a banging start. Let's see. Uh, so the miracle vaccine that we were all promised is taking longer to produce. They're not getting quite the numbers that they thought that they would. I heard that Johnson & Johnson is even going to be hopping on it. Just a bunch of different shit here and there. I mean, we had that shining, glimmering light at the end of the tunnel, and it seems like it's just further and further than we thought down this little hole we've been plummeting into. On top of that, um, first and foremost, I want to say happy Martin Luther King Day. Um, for those of you outside of the States, I'm sure you've heard of Martin Luther King. He was the man. I mean, he, he was the main source of the civil rights movement. Anytime you think of the civil rights movement, you think of Martin Luther King, and then give in everything with the Black Lives Matter movement, everything else that we're going through in America. Um, I'd say, you know, this is a, a good a time, Annie, to do a podcast. It's a, it's a good day. It's supposed to be an uplifting day, a day of remembrance. And so, yeah, um, happy Martin Luther King Day. Um, so, now, I, I don't know if you guys watch the news, but I'm sure everybody's already talked about the uh, storming of the Capitol. Now, this season on Profiling Pain, we're going to be discussing uh, cults and... Um, I'd like to kind of look at some comparisons of some of those people who thought Trump was a great president versus those who thought Trump was essentially a god. Um, there is a vast difference. It's not the majority who think that. Um, there's just some people who think that he did a lot of the right stuff, which which is true. There's quite a few policies that he put forward that that benefited the mass majority, if not everybody. Like, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but from 2016 to now, I've watched my 401k go up. I've had a fatter bank account. The economy is doing great. I mean, Corona kind of put a damper on that, but I think we would have had another banner year had that not happened. Um, he even implemented some sort of uh, tax cuts on uh, on foreign businesses. So more, more businesses from outside of the country were coming here to start businesses as opposed to us losing our businesses to overseas, which creates more jobs, which creates from what I understand, when it comes to Democrats and Republicans, Democrats like to have more social reform, uh, more more social help, more more programs, more tax funding going towards helping those. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that that is, I mean, people who are down to their luck need a need that little boost. You know, there's there's nothing wrong with that at all. I I agree with that. But with Republicans, it's more on the business side. But when it comes to capitalism, you get more jobs when you have businesses spending less money on taxes and they've got, I mean, in theory, they've got more money to put towards their product, which creates, you know, more consumers, which means more demand, which means more employees, which means more money, which, which, I mean, helps the economy. But, you know, it's, it's kind of hit or miss. It depends on who's in office, what policies they run. And, uh, you know, I was told a long time ago from the Muppets, actually, the Muppets taught me, don't get involved in politics, just play the gig. But today, today, the first part of this topic is going to be a little bit about politics. Not really about politics, but a little bit about politics. This is a side profile episode, so we're going to be doing something on music. So 
what we're going to be talking about is we're going to talk, be talking about the guitarist from uh, Ice Earth in the beginning, and then we're going to get into Gigi Allen. And then uh, the next episode from uh, Profiling Pain Proper that comes out is going to be um, a cult episode. Not so much a cult. It's kind of a cult. It's it's kind of like dipping my toes into the cult atmosphere. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Patty Hearst, but that's going to be a, a main talking point on, on the next episode. So stay tuned for that. You can go ahead and do your own research. Patty Hearst wrote books. I mean, she's kind of a household name. That's kind of how I stumbled upon it. Now, this episode, Gigi Allen, is not who I thought that he was. I was looking for a specific person, and I came across Gigi Allen, which I knew the name. And I knew some of the stage antics. But I thought that he was the guy who performed at CBGB's in New York, which is like this historical venue. Like, as a musician, my, my dream is to always go play that just dirty, grungy, underground CBGB fucking place in New York. I wanted to play there so bad. Like I watched a uh I believe one of the last performances I didn't go see, but I saw through like a DVD or fucking something. Uh Corn did a free show at CBGB and like fucking wall to wall people. There was lines all the way around like that just that cool I, I don't know. It's something kind of nostalgic for me. Like if, if you are a native to Arizona and you're in a band in Arizona, you know, we had the Mason jar. We had Fucking, I think it was called the Cajun House, like, or 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 for you know more indie bands, not so much metal bands. There's uh, uh, what the fuck is that place called? The uh, something lounge. God damn it. Ah, fucking. Anyway, it'll come to me later. But there's just a lot of cool venues out here. Like we have Cooperstown. There was, I mean, fuck man, the Brick House. Uh, there's a lot of cool spots, or if you're if you're in Tucson, then you have the Rock, or you have the Rialto Theater. For us out here, you also have uh. Uh, the Marquee Theater, Mesa Amphitheater, like all the all the cool kind of historic spots. I got a chance when I was playing in bands, I got a chance to play the Nile Underground and the Nile, Nile Main Stage before they were selling alcohol. So <laughs> it wasn't, It there's something about playing in a band and having half the audience drunk that just makes it better. But the, the Nile was a really cool venue. I'd have to say it's one of my favorite local venues uh, in Mesa, Arizona. Anyway. And getting on to the guitars from Ice Earth. So this one actually, uh, this... This article that I found was from the Indianapolis Star, a.k.a. the Indy Star. And the headline was, Indiana Heavy Metal Guitar Spotted at Capitol Riots, FBI Seeks Info. And this is all true. We even have some statements from the from the bandmates. But anyway, John Schaefer, who has been a fucking meme for the last two weeks. And if you don't know the name, if you've never listened to Ice Earth, go check it out. They're, they're actually a pretty decent band. Um... And then after you're done listening to Ice Earth, go listen to Unearth, because Unearth is a badass metalcore band. Anyway, so John Schaefer, a native of central Indiana and founder of the band Iced Earth, was photographed among a mob of people who stormed the building January 6th. His picture is among those featured on an FBI poster seeking help from the public, though he is not named. But everybody fucking knows his face. As a matter of fact, the picture I'm looking at right now is a really, he's got his finger pointed fucking hard. He's got his fingerless leather gloves on. He's got his beard hanging out, you know, no, no mask. Um, anyway, the poster asked for help identifying individuals who made unlawful entry into the Capitol. So it says right here, pro-Trump mobs inside the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021 in Washington, D.C. Roberto Schmidt, AFP via Getty Images, blah, 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 blah. Giving all kinds of credit to the guy who did the picture. Multiple people contacted by Indy Star identified Schaefer as the man in the picture. An FBI spokeswoman in the Indianapolis field office declined to specifically comment about Schaefer or the involvement of anyone else from Indiana in the riot. Now, that makes sense. No state wants to claim their own. Now, I'm from Arizona, so I'm sure all of you guys have seen uh, 
the guy with the Viking hat picture. Um, I was actually listening to a radio show the other day, and they were interviewing his lawyer. And that's kind of what I'm getting at with the whole cult thing. Um, so the, I know we're not talking about him, but quick, quick, I fucking forgot the guy's last name. Anyway, so the Viking guy, um, he, uh, <laughs> his lawyer saying that, you know, he believed Trump to be above man and he was brainwashed. And there's a lot of guys actually coming out, not guys, sorry. There's a lot of people don't want to be specific, but there's a lot of people coming out saying that they believed all of Trump's lies and blah, 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 blah. And they're like completely flipping on Trump but they feel like he flipped on them and it was just, I don't, I don't know if you watch the actual, um, not what the fuck's my speech. There you go. Jesus Christ. I don't know if you watched the actual speech prior to the storming of the Capitol, but, uh, there was a lot of rhetoric in there, but I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's not that one speech. It was going on for months, at least since November, you know, the whole, the whole, uh, declaring that, that the election was stolen from them, and you already had a whole bunch of people who, who felt unrepresented, that that latched on him. They glommed onto him because he he was supposed to be their spokesman. Finally, they had one of their own in the White House, you know. And uh, it seems like more and more with elections and and politicians and else, we're getting entirely too emotionally attached to this shit. Um, overall, they're just public fucking servants. They're supposed to do what we want them to do, and if they don't, then you vote them the fuck out, and then you keep going. But it's it's becoming like a fucking it's becoming like the Super Bowl watching the goddamn elections or or watching Senate races or what I mean it's we're gonna pretty soon they're gonna have a fucking fantasy football version of the Senate race you know it's it's getting ridiculous anyway like FBI field offices across the country FBI Indianapolis is receiving tips regarding Hoosiers uh, who may have been at the Capitol building in Washington D.C. Um, Chris Bavender, an FBI Indianapolis spokeswoman, said in a statement, any subjects that are arrested slash indicted will be prosecuted by the United States Attorney's Office in Washington, D.C. Um, so moving into that direction, Trump put an executive order out uh, fucking, I think, back in August, August or July, saying that anybody caught uh, damaging national monuments or anything else like that would serve up to 10 years prison time, like at the max of the law. So it's I'm kind of curious to see as to what's going to happen from here. I mean, there's a whole speculation out there. Um, real quick, if you guys got time for conspiracy theory, it doesn't matter because I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I was listening to, a, I can't remember what it was on, but some people were talking about um, to save face, okay, Biden, just to kind of like give the nod to Trump supporters and kind of like do this whole, you know, together in this thing that they're that he's trying to shoot for anyway. Um, there's a decent chance that after the impeachment, that's right, Trump has been impeached. This is fucking, I mean, it's it's January 18th. We already know. We already watched what happened Friday. Um, or was it Thursday? Thursday or Friday. It doesn't fucking matter. Anyway, but Trump has been impeached for a second time. Or the first time didn't go through, and he had to go through an impeachment trial for a second time. They're not doing the trial until later on this week once they do the movement of power because Mitch McConnell doesn't want to fucking deal with it. It's just this whole long drawn out process. But um, they're saying now that Biden is going to pardon him. It's just fucking boom. You're pardoned. Don't worry about it. Get the fuck out of here. Just go be Trump. But social media, everybody's turning their back. I mean, I mean, between Facebook and Twitter, I know Twitter lost something like five billion dollars once Trump got kicked off. It's fucking crazy. It's crazy how much social media is tied into everybody's emotions and everybody's fucking political leaders and all the other fucking bullshit. 
Um, anyway, so Schaefer has previously attended Trump rallies and propagated conspiracy theories. Uh, he was once a guest on the far-right radio show of InfoWars conspiracy theorist Alec Jones, and he told a German news station last November that a shadowy criminal enterprise is attempting to run a world government under a communist agenda. He and other Americans were prepared for bloodshed to prevent that. Five people died on January 6th when a mob fueled by President Donald Trump's false claims of a stolen election invaded the Capitol in an effort to stop lawmakers from confirming President-elect Joseph Biden's victory. A police officer was among those killed. At least 54 people have been criminally charged so far, according to the tally by the George Washington University Program on Extremism. But FBI officials said Tuesday that they were investigating at least 170 people. Schaefer and his band, Iced Earth, appeared in the pages of the Indianapolis Star in 2001 following Schaefer's rise to fame. Schaefer, who was born in Franklin and has lived in Fort Wayne in Indianapolis, left Indiana as a teenager for Tampa, Florida, which is where Iced Earth is based. As recently as a few years ago, Schaefer's home was in Columbus, but it is unclear where he is living today. And nobody's given up any of that information at the moment. Um... In the days following the violence at the Capitol, Schaefer's photo has circulated widely among people on social media and on entertainment websites. Schaefer has not said anything publicly, but four of his Ice Earth bandmates put out a statement on Instagram and Facebook opposing the insurrection. This is their quote. We absolutely do not condone nor do we support riots or the acts of violence that we rioters or sorry, that the rioters were involved in on January 6th at the U.S. Capitol building. We hope that all those involved that day are brought to justice to be investigated and answer for their actions. Um, we want to thank those of you who have sent words of support in recent days. Some of you have been concerned by our silence, which we understand. We needed some time to properly process the information and find out some facts before we made a statement. We absolutely do not condone, nor do we support riots or the acts of violence. And it just goes on to say the same thing over and over again. With broken hearts... We are sending our love and compassion to everyone who has felt pain from the events on January 6th. We are deeply saddened and our hearts go out to the families of the lives lost that day. There are really no proper words to console. Just know we are with you in your shock, grief, and pain. Much love to you all. Stu, Luke, Jake, Brent, please keep buying our albums. So a group of thugs, all right? So this is another quote. A group of thugs and criminals hijacked this country a long time ago. Now they're making their big move, and it's not going to happen. That's what Schaefer said in a video on Welt's website. And that's what it is. These are globalists. These are the scum of the earth. When asked if he was prepared for violence, Schaefer said he did not want violence, but he was prepared to respond to it if necessary. People need to wake up and snap out of the matrix because they're going down, Schaefer said. Now we see you and you're going down, mark my words. Schaefer owns a business property along a strip in Edinburgh, a small town about 30 miles southeast of Indianapolis. Last May, he registered a new business called Wicked Tales to that address. Um, John Schaefer, Indiana native, metal guitarist, wanted for questioning. So he used his new business to launch a Kickstarter project last June. He pledged to create a hardcover book called Wicked Words and Epic Tales that would contain more than 200 pages of his lyrics, as well as numerous pieces of artwork inspired by the words. 
Uh, backers of the project were also promised a CD filled with new music, including soundscapes that corresponded to some of the artwork inside the book. Schaefer initially planned to ship the books by October, but in his last update posted in December, he said the books would not be shipped until late January or mid-February. Some of the backers have become skeptical given the news of Schaefer's involvement with the riot at the Capitol, as in he's probably not going to do it. Uh, especially if he gets arrested. As a matter of fact, one person said, Hey, John, uh, can we get our books we paid for or at least get our money back before you're <laughs> uh, out the ass, or sorry, books we paid out the ass for before you go to federal prison? Uh, and that was the last part of the article. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, but this whole thing about the election being stolen, it's its not new, Um it's it's not new. That was exactly what the argument was in 2016. I don't know if you guys remember or not, but there was like a two-year-long investigation of Russian collusion because the Democrats refused to believe that they lost. So I'm really curious to see if this whole uh, peaceful transition of power is ever going to fucking be peaceful again. Between people uh, taking the president to court, between, I mean, just with what, what went on recently between Trump and Biden, the Capitol, last election, I mean... I'm I'm 33 years old, and I can't remember in my lifetime. I get well. I guess the Al Gore uh, and and fucking George Bush thing, but that was like valid. That was a recount. They did a recount. Something went weird, weird, and you know. But these voting machines and everything else that's going on, and then and then even sitting down and watching people count the votes and saying that there's fraud there. I mean, it's getting it's getting pretty fucking crazy. And the point is, though, here, here's the thing. I explained a few episodes ago how the uh, Electoral College works. And in there, I gave you all the information about when it started, how many times that the Electoral College um, members have actually switched their votes from what their constituents wanted. I've, I've covered all that, and they can do that. They can actually decide. It doesn't matter if everybody in that state voted blue. They could vote red. It can happen that fucking way. The Electoral College has the final say. So with everybody running around like chickens with their fucking head cut off, accusing each other of this, you did this, you did that, and everybody losing their fucking minds, violence in the streets, everybody being fucking retards, um, which I know isn't PC, sorry, but fucking that's, they're, they're acting fucking dumb. They're just, everybody's being emotional and dumb. It's, it's fucking ridiculous. And then you realize that they didn't have any fucking say in the first place. Nobody could vote. We could just not vote in this goddamn country and fucking electoral college will still pass their fucking votes. They'll still go through the Senate floor. Like, it'll still happen. The machine keeps fucking moving. That's why it's called a goddamn machine. And we aren't even remotely close to being the fucking cogs. We're not even the goddamn bolts holding the fucking cogs on. Like, it, for anybody that seems to think that our voice actually has some form of higher purpose, or maybe I'm just being pessimistic, but I fucking said on that episode when I was talking about the electoral college that I honestly don't think that our vote counts. I don't. I fucking don't. I'm not one of these fucking conspiracy th I mean, I'm a conspiracy theorist, but I'm not one of these crazy guys that think that every election is already determined. I mean, I guess if you go with the opinions of the people, maybe. By people, I mean the electoral college or who the Senate wants or, or you know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like we get the proper say in the in the Democratic National Convention or the, or the Republican National Convention. I feel like they, they just fucking wheel out these douchebags for us to fucking choose from, and I don't you don't even know these fucking assholes' names. And then on top of that, you mix that with the fact that they, the super PACs, the fucking super delegates, the goddamn lobbyists, all this other fucking bullshit, those are our candidates. They should be on the nightly news fucking free. There shouldn't be people paying into fucking PACs. There shouldn't, certainly shouldn't be private fucking companies paying money 
to get what they want pushed forward policy-wise. Like, I understand the movers and shakers of this country still are the movers and shakers of this country, but it shouldn't come down to our fucking politics. It shouldn't. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, I don't think that our president or president-elect or senator should have fucking sponsorships. You know what I mean? It's just, it doesn't work that fucking way. Their sponsorships are their constituents, the people that vote them in. Those are your sponsorships. Those are your people. You do what they say. You don't do what the fucking is in the best business interest. And that's what, that's the one thing about capitalism I can complain about is that that's what that is. Uh, anyway, that's my fucking rant for right now. But we're going to get into G.G. Allen. And also, if you are able to get the vaccine and you have gotten the vaccine, um, there's been a lot of stories of, of allergic reactions and, and Bell's Paul's being all, all kinds of silly shit happening. Um, if you've gotten the vaccine and you have had any reaction, um, shoot me an email, uh, centartainment at gmail.com, centaur with a C. Uh, I always put the email in the show notes. You guys know that. But, I mean, or hit up the Facebook page, whatever. Like, I'm curious to hear some of those stories as well. Anyway, moving on to our main our mainstay. We're going to be talking about Gigi Allen. And I can't guarantee that I'm not going to fucking rant anymore to this episode. It's it's going to happen. Uh, what else? What also is going to happen is uh, there's going to be a lot of talk of poop in this episode. Like poop. Pooping. Eating poop. Covering yourself in poop. There's a lot of poop. Um, just be prepared for for that. I mean, this is literally... The best description of this guy is a shit show. No, I mean, pun fully intended, actually. Um, so, if there's one thing for sure, is that there was absolutely no one else like Gigi Allen. Um, punk vocalist, multiple bands, um, and a lot of fucking words have been used to describe Gigi Allen. Um, individualist, anti-authoritarian, unique, violent, chaotic madmen. I mean, the dude was across the board. So this, uh, here we go. Although those identifiers are true, but if you ask Gigi Allen how he would describe himself, he'd say just one thing, that he was the last true rock and roller. And depending on your definition of rock and roll, he might have been. From his humble roots in rural New Hampshire to being a, an onstage defecating, and I said poop, in front of thousands, one thing was for sure. Gigi Allen was definitely something. Um, he was fucking crazy. So his early life as Jesus Christ Allen. Yeah, his, his name was fucking Jesus Christ. Yeah, so here we go. Gigi Allen and his father, Merle Sr., long before he was cross-dressed, sparking riots, and exploring the world of hardcore punk, G.G. Allen was living an entirely different sort of life. He was born Jesus Christ Allen in 1956. G.G. grew up in Groveton, New Hampshire. The Allen family's patriarch was a religious fanatic named Merle, and they lived in a log cabin devoid of electricity and running water. Merle Allen was reclusive and abusive and routinely threatened to kill his family. He would dig graves in the cabin cellar to prove how serious he was. The younger Allen described living with Merle as a primitive existence, likening it to a prison sentence rather than an upbringing. But nonetheless, he was ultimately thankful for it as it made him a warrior soul at an early age. Which that's, I mean, that's, you know, putting a bright side to things. Now, eventually, Allen's mother, uh, Arletta, got out and moved to East St. Johnsbury, taking with her Jesus Christ and his brother Merle Jr., 
Jesus, G.G. Allen, <laughs> became G.G. after Merle Jr. was an a- unable to pronounce Jesus. Uh, it kept coming out as G.G. In the end, Gigi stuck, and in 1966, after remarrying, Arletta officially changed her son's name from Jesus Christ to Kevin Michael, though he continued to go by Gigi. Which is cool. It's kind of, you know, your brother gave you that nickname, you know what I mean? Like, that's that's still, even though they had a crazy dad, they still showed somewhat of a family uh, life there, I guess. Uh, Gigi Allen and his brother Merle Jr., whether he was traumatized by his tumultuous early years or simply possessed a Staunch disregard for the rules, D.G. Allen spent his high school years acting out, as most musicians do. Not me, though. I was fucking pretty much a straight-A student, uh, which is probably why I'm not a famous musician. <laughs> so, He formed several bands, cross-dressed to school, sold drugs, broke into houses, and generally lived life on his own terms. But even cross-dressing and breaking into homes and cars were nothing compared to the depravity that would ensure later on in his life. D.G. Allen breaks out. After graduating from high school in Concord, Vermont, in 1975, it's no surprise that Gigi Allen eschewed further education. Instead, he pursued his music, channeling his idols, Alice Cooper and the Rolling Stones, breaking into the scene as a drummer. He performed with several bands and formed two with Merle Jr. Eventually, in 1977, he found a permanent gig playing the drums and singing backup for the punk rock band The Jobbers. Allen stayed with them until 1984. Seven years, man. It's a good run. And uh, put out the debut album, Always Was, Is, and Always Shall Be with them. Uh, in the mid-'80s, tensions over Allen's unwillingness to com- compromise caused the band to split. G.G. Allen drumming in one of his first bands throughout the 1980s, Allen again found himself hopping from band to band. He appeared with the Cedar Street Sluts, the Scumfucks, and the Texas Nazis between 1985 or 82 and 85, gaining a reputation for himself as a hardcore underground rocker. After a performance in Manchester, New Hampshire with the Cedar Street Sluts, he became known as the Madman of Manchester. Fucking pretty cool nicknames this dude's bringing in. In 1985, while performing a show in Peoria, Illinois, with Bloody Mess and the Scabs, <laughs> fuck man, punk bands, D.G. Allen took his Madman title to the next level. As he stood in front of a crowd of hundreds, he defecated on stage defecated aka he took a big old fat duke on stage i was with him when he bought the x-lax frontman bloody mess recalled later bloody mess fucking these nicknames unbeknownst to the crowd the act was entirely premeditated unfortunately he ate it hours before the show so he he constantly had to hold it in or he would have shit before he got on stage after he shit on stage complete chaos broke out in the hall bloody mess said all the old men in charge of the hall went fucking nuts. Hundreds of confused punk kids were flipping out, running out the door because the smell was incredible. Uh, not in a good way. It was fucking... I can't imagine <laughs> how bad that probably was. He fucking held that in for hours. I don't know if you guys uh, have ever... Everybody knows Joe Rogan, the podcast. I don't know if you know any Joe Rogan stand-up. But he did a stand-up, I think, 2000, maybe 99, where he was talking about... Uh, when he goes out, he wants to go out on his own terms. So he said he's going to go to fucking Whataburger, eat like 200 double cheeseburgers, and drink like 100 fucking pots of black coffee and hold it in until he can't take it anymore than go find a nice public white shag carpet and blow his brains out. <laughs> he, he said he wanted people quitting their fucking jobs cleaning up after him. And this that's just what this made me think of. So the act, the reaction was evidently the one that Gigi Allen was going for as defecation became a regular part of his stage act. Now... I know that there's a lot of musicians that listen to this podcast. What's up, guys? How you doing? Um, 
I kind of want to hear, hit up the Facebook, hit up fucking Instagram, whatever the fuck, just fight, or you could text me, because I have most of your goddamn numbers, um, what's the strangest shit you've ever done on stage, now, I've, I've worn a costume, I've had fucking face paint, um, I hopped on stage while a punk band is playing, they had a fucking three foot dildo, and I was really drunk, so I'm not sure what happened from there, but there's pictures floating around somewhere, uh, but, I can honestly say I've never pissed, shit, or vomited. There's never been any bodily fluid. I don't even think I've ever bled on stage. Um, so if you guys got some crazy fucking stories, I'd, I'd love to hear it. Uh, I mean, I'll talk about it on the next fucking music episode if you guys give me a long enough list. Anyway, uh, before long, he wasn't just defecating on stage. He started eating the feces. It's, yeah, I told you. He started eating his shit, smearing it around, and throwing it at audience members. It's like the worst fucking Gallagher show ever. He also incorporated blood into the act by pouring it onto his body before performing and by spraying it across the stage and audience. Naturally, the destructive nature of his sets resulted in venues and equipment companies severing ties with Alan. Duh. Uh, fuck, don't shit on my stage. I, I've fucking seen people get thrown off stage for spitting on the stage before. Police were often called, especially when Alan began jumping into crowds and onto audience members. Not like stage diving, like jumping on these motherfuckers. Uh, several female uh, concert goers claimed that he sexually assaulted them after the shows, and others claimed he attacked them during the set. Uh, this man was a fucking nightmare early, early on. In 1989, he was sentenced to prison for assault. He admitted to cutting and burning a woman as well as drinking her blood. Ultimately, he served 15 months in prison stating the entire time that the act was consensual. Gigi uh, Allen carried the weight of his childhood throughout his life, constantly bucking authority to make up for the years under his father's crushing thumb. Though he was close to, though far and few in between, he saw his total embodiment of rock and roll as an escape from consumerism and commercialism, and as a desire to return rock and roll music to its rebellious roots. Which, there's not much of that anymore. I'm not trying to condone his actions, but I get his thinking. I mean, more and more we're seeing SoundCloud rappers and, and more independent musicians, musicians coming up, but then shortly after they break, and I'm not saying that you don't need to make your money. Make your fucking money. Like, get out there, get your money, you know? But um, who said it? It was on a Maynard James Keenan thing. It was on a, oh, he fucking got COVID. I heard that the other day too, so hopefully he's doing great, but um, doing better anyhow. Um, but consumerism it's it, it hit fucking my son's favorite song right now is that roly roly song about rolexes and shit like it's consumerism has entered music hardcore i mean across the board it, 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 every genre uh so i mean it's not like it was back in the day when it was sex drugs rock and roll rebel break tvs fucking motley crew and blah 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 uh anyway Though the two seemed polar opposites, Gigi Allen idolized country music legend Hank Williams. Williams, like Allen, was a quiet loner with a persistent drinking habit who traveled light and often and wanted nothing more than to embody his music, despite the fact that Allen's music never really took off due to poor recording and distribution. He continued to perform and draw crowds of hundreds of punk kids. And one of the issues with that is that he, he fucking wouldn't do anything better than a demo track. He would get in there, he'd cut the fucking record, and then they'd be like, all right, cool, so let's give it another take, let's master this. He'd be like, nah, that's, that's it, sign still delivered, we're done, just fucking distribute that. Like, everything, everything that I've heard of his sounds like, I mean, I'm recording in my garage, but I at least set up a little vocal booth and shit, you know? It sounded kind of like a garage band, like, I mean, but that was anti-establishment, that was punk. He, sound, he, or sorry, he found solace in the macabre, 
uh, macabre, whatever the fuck, the fucking shitty shit, writing to and visiting serial killer John Wayne Gacy in prison and commissioning a painting from him to use for album cover art. We're going to do John Wayne Gacy um, maybe before this season is over, maybe next season, because I do want to really do some a lot of stuff on cults, but John Wayne Gacy, man, fuck. Uh, it's kind of cool how all these little crazy stories kind of tie in and bring up other serial killers. It's like a fucking rabbit hole, man. It's like you ever go on YouTube and just watch something, and then next thing you know, it's six hours fucking later, and you're late for work, and you're like, how the hell? You know, and it's, it's all just shit. Everything's just fucking related. Anyway, uh, his satisfaction with serial killers seemed to encompass his own lifestyle. Beginning in 1989, he repeatedly stated he would commit suicide publicly during a performance, likely on Halloween. Ultimately, he didn't go out quite like he planned, but his death was still a public spectacle. In Manhattan, on June 27, 1993, he cut the power to the venue he was performing at during his second song. In the dark, he trashed the club, stripped naked, and walked through the streets covered in blood and feces early into the next morning. The crowd followed him until he reached the home of a friend, of a friend sorry, gathering outside as he entered. Once inside, he ingested copious amounts of heroin and died of an overdose. Whether the overdose was intentional or part of his promise to follow through on his pledge to kill himself remains a mystery. Throughout his life, he made it clear that he didn't intend to live to old age, regularly claiming that suicide would be his undoing. It's not so much wanting to die, he once said, but controlling that moment, choosing your own way. And in life, and possibly in death, he chose his own way. It's not a long story, but it's a fucking crazy story. He came from absolutely nothing, nothing, not even electricity, and had the potential to make it so fucking far. And he was he was the epitome of an, a masterpiece drawn in a napkin. With with I mean, with his antics and how crazy he was, if he had just kind of point, pointed that in the right fucking direction, he could have he could have been something super special. I'm not saying he wasn't, because certainly not gonna find. Someone as, as as fucking crazy as I mean I I can't think of anybody shitting on a stage, I mean I know Ozzy ate the head off a fucking bat once you know and even that's been played up and played out so many times, but yeah he I mean one hundred percent anti anti establishment and it almost seems as though everything that he fucking did was just to push push that agenda. Um, punk music though, that's another reason why I wanted to cover Gigi Allen is because, uh. Punk music is, I mean, I think it's dead. I don't know uh, where everybody else is getting their punk from, but I, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, we had like Chaos UK, Total Chaos, a lot of Chaos, uh, Dead Kennedys, um, and then I used to listen to like actual underground industrial, like Bauhaus or KMFDM and shit like that. Like I used to like this. I mean, everybody knows the Sex Pistols. Everybody knows Sid Vicious, you know. But you, and then I don't know if it was so much my teenage years that I got into like the Teeny Bop punk but it was still punk like mxpx and shit like that and then you kind of had blink 182 i guess sort of some 41 sort of and then you had like the whole ska scene and 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 then it eventually turned into fucking metal for me anyway i mean these guys were just screaming constantly and fucking you know and that's kind of turned into me listening to metal and stuff and i'm i'm really thankful for the the turn that metal's making now i know a lot of people aren't happy about it but i like a lot of these metal bands um if you're 33, 35, and you went to high school, you know, in the early, early 2000s, between 2000 and 2007, 2009 maybe, um, 
I guarantee you listen to My Chemical Romance. I guarantee you listen to The Used. I guarantee you've heard of Blindside. I guarantee you've heard of Story of the Year. I guarantee you've heard of fucking Finch. Um, there's a lot of bands like that at the time, which you know was considered, I guess, fucking screamo or emo music, whatever the fuck you want to call it. But these bands coming out now um, have like that metalcore feel between like right around 2003 is when the metalcore scene really broke. When like Come Clarity from from In Flames came out, or you had you know, Killswitch Engage, um, the Alive or Just Breathing album. You had fucking, uh, what is it, This Darkened Heart by All the Remains. You had Unearth releasing shit, Norman Jean releasing shit. Like, music was fucking ripping. I mean, it was, metal was taking a whole new turn where you could be as fucking heavy as you want, but then you could still fucking, like, Adam D. from Killswitch Engage said it the best. He said, we bring the ruckus, but we make the young girls cry because you had these really pretty courses coming out that's what metal course stands for melodic metal and they would just i mean fucking hit it and uh and now these bands today like i listen to uh one of my favorite bands right now is crown the empire um not so much their new album but i like the f- fucking it, it's like the screamo i listened to when i was in my teens mixed with like the metal corn shit that i got into in my early adulthood and so bands like that are fucking th- that's kind of my my thing right now it's fucking Check out Crown the Empire. I mean, if you haven't heard of them, they're pretty badass. One of my favorite songs is Makeshift Chemistry. It's a good song. Um, but yeah, so we have musicians getting in trouble back in the day, musicians getting in trouble at the fucking Capitol. Um, and that's why it's imperative to not get involved in politics. Just play the fucking gig. Uh, I give you my opinions, but then I also naysay myself sometimes. I, like, I, I think if you have an emotional attachment, an emotional attachment to anybody in office they don't fucking know you they'll never know your name they don't give a shit about you i don't care how many times they shook your hand hugged your wife kissed your baby it's it doesn't matter they they get into their fucking limo or their suv and they forget about you immediately immediately do not emotionally attach yourself to some anybody honestly anybody uh except your kids except your except except your family um that will make you act violently and not out of a sense of protection um what happened at the capitol i feel was honestly a travesty um i feel like these people might have had uh what do i say here they might have had their mm, hearts in the right place they might have honestly thought that something was aloof that something was actually being done, the rug was really being pulled out from underneath them. But I also feel like the rhetoric and everything else. And I'm not blaming Trump. I'm not. I'm not the one of those people that are like, "Oh, fucking Trump should be indicted." Like I, I don't think that. I genuinely don't. I mean, it was just him preaching to the masses, and the masses kind of took it their own way. But when you do tell a group of crazed people that you are going to be in the forefront, marching with them down to the Capitol. I mean, you kind of sent them to the Capitol. You kind of said that a little bit. Uh, what the fuck did you think was going to happen? I mean, I'm pretty sure he didn't assume that was going to happen. But fuck. It's it's getting, it's embarrassing. I mean, the shit that has happened over the course of the last four years, and I don't know what's going to fucking happen for the next four, but we are becoming embarrassing. Um so to those Americans who are listening to me, take a good, long, hard look in the fucking mirror. And then I want you to go back 
And after looking at yourself, I want you to look at all the fucking chaos happening around us and how people are fucking acting and realize that you yourself are better than that. We, I mean human beings in general, are better than that. We're just better than that. And that's not how we fucking conduct business. That's not how it's not how we do this shit. It's not. We are a huge country. Huge country. Hundreds of millions of people in this country. And there's no reason at all why a few extremists they were extremists. Sorry, I hate to break it to you, but they were extremists. There's no reason why a few extremists should set the example for us. Um, they made all Trump supporters look bad, which I don't feel is fair either. And then you hear a lot of people who are still diehard Trump supporters, maybe not to that extreme, saying that, oh, Antifa infiltrated all... I mean, fucking just stop. Stop. I love conspiracy theories as much as the next person. Mine usually center around UFOs, though, so I'm a little different. I'm a little bit of a hierarchy in the conspiracy theory world. But <laughs> that's a joke. But don't, don't fucking ever let anybody ever manipulate you to that fucking point. That's not good. It's the same thing I told my son the other day. We had an altercation with another parent. And uh, I told my son, you know, always carry yourself when you walk into a room like you have the strongest mind and the strongest heart in that room. Never let anybody make you feel uncomfortable. And this is for all of you guys as well. Never let anybody make you feel uncomfortable, ever. That's, that's not okay for anybody to make you feel uncomfortable. Know that whatever room you walk into, you've got the strongest mind and the strongest heart. Because everybody is a fighter in their own right. And never forget that shit. So never let anybody have any type of control over you like that. Ever. And especially as soon as it's all said and done, <laughs> and they don't back you the way you thought, don't fucking double pedal back and blame them either. Because that's pussy shit. So, anyway. <laughs> that's enough of my fucking ranting. That's enough political shit. Uh, next episode, we're going to get into cults. Um, we're going to start covering cult mentality. Uh, we're going to talk about, hopefully we'll get into a lot of the, over the course of the season, we'll get into a lot of talk with the psychology behind all that shit. Um, it's crazy. Pack mentality, man. That's a real thing. Um, and then we also talked, I mean, we talked a few episodes ago, quite a few episodes ago about like, you know, bystander syndrome where like nobody helps because everybody thinks that somebody else is going to help. It's the same thing, but everybody becomes complicit. Just remember that if you're part of a fucking mob, you're complicit, especially since they're using facial recognition or facial, yeah, facial, facial, blah, 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 blah. I almost said fecal matter again. Facial recognition technology to fucking track these people down. They're taking selfies. Just don't, don't do anything stupid. And if you do do something stupid, don't get fucking caught. That's it. That's all. Don't take a goddamn picture of yourself. Don't implicate yourself. That's it. That's all. But uh, anyway, I digress. I hope everybody had a good good three-day weekend if you had a three-day weekend um i hope everybody's healthy i hope everybody's feeling great um and if you did get the vaccine i hope it worked for you uh hopefully more vaccines come hopefully school starts and hopefully we can actually have a fucking holiday soon where everybody could be together um but that's it uh i love you guys i hope everybody's doing well um yeah, so don't shit on a stage. Don't eat your own shit. Don't cover yourself in your own shit. You'll get an infection. And uh, outside of that, though, you stay metal, mofos. You guys have a good day. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline.
was pushed back to December 2nd. More delays were forthcoming, suffering a workload and backup of cases by the time the original trial judge relinquished the case to conservative Superior Court Judge Michael Tennant. This move, though necessary, provoked more delays, and when the Hernandezes suddenly sparked an argument out of the clear blue to have the trial removed from the Los Angeles area where they said their client would not get a fair hearing, another postponement loomed. Eventually, shot down, the Hernandez the Hernandez initiated filings nevertheless wasted many months. The trial was rescheduled for February 1st, 1988, and the beat went on. Hollering that they had not been given full access to the LAPD files for scrutiny, Hernandez and Hernandez sought and won more time to browse the police records that they claimed had been shut to them. The trial was reset for July of 1988, when jury selection finally began. For the first time, the lawyers from both sides of the table agreed on something, that because of the media's attention to the ghastly nature of the crimes, it would not be easy to find impartial jurors. A pool of over 3,000 prospective jurors were dwindled to half that number. They were then carefully interviewed by both counsels, cut by cut, slice by slice, 12 of whom both factions approved were at last chosen. Six of the jurors were Latino. It had been an enormous, monumental, historical example of the American right to fair trial at work. The trial of Richard Ramirez began on January 29, 1989. The Night Stalker's terror, almost a dim memory to the American public, except for those who lived it. They would always remember, and they were hungry for justice. Now, Judge Tennant's courtroom hummed with excitement the day the trial opened in his late January. Estimated length of the trial, claimed reporters, was four to six months. Television cameras allowed the shoot portions of the trial remained unobtrusively behind the reporters scratching their observations in stent notepads. On the public benches, lawmen who had taken part in the capture of Ramirez, including Detective Frank Motherfucking Salerno, sat intermingled with the random spectators, lucky enough to have obtained a seat. Defendant Richard Ramirez sat calmly at the counsel's table. His lawyer had dressed him in a con conservative suit and had seen that his stringy hair was styled. Sunglasses covered his menacing gaze. A gavel announced the commencement of the proceedings, and as the bailiff called for quiet, only the whir of the ceiling fan could be heard. The prosecutor, Philip Halpin, spoke. He addressed the jury, reminding them that they were there to try a vicious monster who had no regard for human life or decency. A ghoul had, who had tortured, killed many, and had left many alive to face days of pain and deformity. He reminded them that this monster worshipped the devil and fed to him innocent people as sacrificial lambs, their own beds being the chosen bloody altars. There was no doubt, he said, that Ramirez was guilty. Four different small caliber handguns that belonged to him were traced down as far as Texas. Ballistic tests already proved they killed the victims. Jewelry belonging to several other victims was located in his sister's home in El Paso, where the woman unwittingly accepted them as gifts. Then... There were Ramirez's finger and shoe prints found at the crime scenes. And then, of course, there were witnesses, many of them, ready to come forward to identify Ramirez at their, as their rapist, their assailant, and the killer of their husbands and boyfriends. He concluded, We have alleged these murders are in the first degree, were premeditated, and occurred during burglaries or other crimes. We are asking for the death penalty. Defense lawyer Daniel Hernandez waived his opening remarks until the prosecution fully concluded its forum later in the trial. Halpin had made such a dent that it was obvious that, at this point, there wasn't much one could say in rebuttal. In fact, as the trial progressed, Hernandez's weak start became weaker. 
not only because the prosecution's evidence was so strong, but because his partner, Arturo, suspiciously proved to be a no-show. Going in it alone against a Goliath, Daniel Hernandez was overwhelmed and exhausted. A month into the trial, Hernandez announced he required medical leave. In view of all the costly delays that had already occurred, Judge Tinnan refused to grant a suspension, but commandeering, but commandeered help for the Hernandez. Um, he replaced the invisible Arturo with criminal lawyer Ray Clark, an attorney of merit. Clark virtually took over the case of the defense with a clarity. He was a well-meaning and clever lawyer who reshaped the defense's platforms by retrying the show that Ramirez in many instances was a victim of mistaken identity, but it was all too late for that and to no avail. Of the 165 eyewitnesses who addressed the court, most of them brought damaging testimony against the defendant. Witness after witness for the prosecution had sworn under oath, identifying Ramirez. They remembered his exact words, his cursing to the devil, and they were simply unable to forget those pair of dark eyes that, despite the masquerade of sunglasses, were Richard Ramirez's. The shades, for that matter, concealed absolutely nothing, especially the negatively kinetic thing that dwelt beneath them. As during his preliminary hearing, Ramirez, Ramirez remained his uncontrollable self, throughout the court, defying the judge's orders to keep quiet and muttering under his breath at witnesses and bursting into idiotic laughter during the uh, damaging testimony. At the trial, the killer played to the press, declares J. Robert Nash in his crime anthology, blood letters and bad men. He flashed the palm of his hand where he had drawn a livid sign of the pentagram on other occasions as he sat listening to the prosecution condemn him for his crimes. He placed two upturned fingers on either side of his temples to indicate horns and intoned evil, evil, evil. Not the way to befriend a jury. In closing arguments having ended in July, it was now the jury's turn to summon a verdict. Delays, a trademark of the Ramirez case, occurred even during jury deliberation. One juror was fired for sleeping and replaced with an alternative. Frighteningly, another was murdered by a jealous boyfriend. She, too, was replaced. But both... These occurrences drew time. Months crawled while the nation awaited a verdict. On September 20th of 1989, Richard Ramirez was brought from his cell to hear what the jury members ultimately decided. Guilty on all fucking counts. Fuck you, fuck off. Uh, despite pleas from the defense, the jury recommended death. When Judge Tienan asked the prisoner if he had anything to say on his own behalf, Ramirez, in true Night Stalker fucking way, cursed the court, cursed the jurors, cursed the world. I need not look beyond this room to see all the liars, haters, the killers, the crooks, the paranoid cowards, truly trematodes of the earth. He rambled on. You maggots make me sick, one and all. I am beyond your experience. I am beyond good and evil. But the nation cared not what he had to say. All it cared was that he was not beyond the gas chamber. In the end, that's all that mattered most. But there was one more side to consider, that of the victims who lived and the victims' families. On November 11th of 1989, USA Today quoted Don Nelson, who had found the mutilated remains of his mother, Joyce, in July of 1985, asked what he thought of his mother's killer's death sentence. Nelson replied, It doesn't bring my mom back, but he can no longer threaten anybody. I still see what my mom looked like as a result of what he did, and that's something I'm going to have to deal with over the remainder of my life. Today, Richard Ramirez sits in San Quentin death row. That is not today. So this is what they jotted down. Here we go, 1995. Here we go. So today, Richard Ramirez sits in San Quentin's death row where he was deposit, uh, deposited more than a decade ago, blah, 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 blah. It's pretty much talking about how fucking long 
it takes for this shit to go through. Richard Ramirez actually died um, from cancer. So we got to see how long this court case fucking took. We got to see how actual community justice fucking handled shit. And now we get to see his death. He actually died uh, June 7th, 2013 um, from cancer. So he got to still fucking live out his life, which was too good for that piece of shit. But that is Richard Ramirez, probably the worst motherfucker we've covered to date. Um, and then we're going to get off of murderers. Like I said, for a while, we're going to go into, uh, into cults next, which that is not free of murder. Unfortunately, that's, that's part of it too. There's a lot of rape, a lot of forced. The thing about cults that I'm interested in is actually the, um, community thought, um, how they're able to control so many people at one time and get everybody on the same page. I mean, not unlike religion. And I know I shouldn't compare the two, but I'm saying there's a lot of similarities. You get that pack mentality. And the other thing about it is that with cults, a lot of these people who give up everything to join these things um, go so long believing one thing and then to just back away from it. Like we'll say like, uh, what's that big popular one with... with, uh, L. Ron Hubbard, Scientology. Uh, we've seen a lot of, of, of uh, detractors from, from Scientology come out and say that it's, it's just, it becomes a lifestyle. And to stop believing in it and to start realizing that everything, I mean, you're, you're admitting to yourself that you were just lying to yourself the other time, the entire time. It's, it's really hard to come back from that psychologically. And that's why there's so many things that, that people do, um, almost like bystander syndrome where you think somebody else will take care of it, or you just get roped into something, it happens. Um, but anyway, so that's Richard Ramirez. That's the uh, R&R for, for the final of the year. Um, it was a lot. It was a lot of reading, and I stumbled on a few things. I'm a good reader, I swear to God. But I fucking <laughs> it was a lot. Um, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. It was a little bit different approach to a case. Normally, I'll take a lot of information from other things, and then I'll put my own perspective on it. I'll twist it around on other sources. But I, I actually really liked the way that this story was depicted. Um, and that's it, man. So thank you guys so much. It's been an awesome year. The downloads have increased. I mean, fucking more and more every month. Um, more and more people around the world are listening. So thank you guys so much. That's awesome. Uh, I did not get the t-shirts in time for this episode. I am so sorry. But after the first of the year, they will be available. It's going to be on Teespring. It'll be uh, teespring.com forward slash profiling pain store or something like that. I can't remember the exact thing. It'll be in the next episode show notes. And uh, that's it. Just let me know what you guys like. And have a good one. Thank you.